May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The last few weeks, except for last week when we had a break for Mary to remember the Mother of God, we, our Gospel readings, have come from the sixth chapter of John's Gospel. And in this chapter, Jesus is explaining to his followers, to his disciples, what it means for him to be him, and what that means for them. Last week, we missed out the perhaps, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, juicier part, where Jesus really unpacks the idea that in drinking the wine and eating the bread of the Eucharist, we are eating of his flesh, and his blood. Now that clashes to our ears and perhaps makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us think of vampires and zombies, or at least it does some people preparing for, for, for communion. And it was, as we can see from our reading today, something that really clashed in the ears of those who heard it for the first time. But it wasn't for those same reasons. We know that Jesus was teaching this in the synagogue, in the context of everything that happened in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. Those who were listening to him had an idea about what a sacrifice to God meant. The notion of the Passover, that the lamb that is slain to save people has to be eaten, has to be consumed. And so what the people listening to Jesus in the synagogue in Capernaum heard Jesus say, was what we proclaim in all our liturgy, that Jesus is God, and that by his death on the cross and resurrection and ascension, Jesus changes the world and allows us to partake in God. And this was heresy. This was a big deal. And so it is no wonder that his disciples, the people who had been following him for a while, said, whoa now, Jesus, I think you're going a bit far now. And remember, these are the people who haven't just read about Jesus or experienced Jesus' love in their lives. These are those whose feet were covered with the same dust as Jesus. 
These are those who had walked beside him. These are those who had seen him turn water into wine at Cana. These are those people who had seen him feed tens of thousands of people with scraps or a little boy's lunch. These are the people who had seen him pray for people and see them become well again, see limbs stretched out, people healed. These are the same people who had sat at Jesus' feet and heard him teach, heard him open up God's word and the life and love of God in a new and fresh way. And this is the point where they go, woe now, Jesus, this far and no further. It was okay when you were trying to disturb the authorities. It was okay when you were shaking up other people's lives. But now you want us to live in a new way. You're asking us to abandon what we've been until now. And become new people because of you. It's okay, Jesus, when you were rocking the boat. We could cope with that. But now you want us to walk on water. And now we're not so sure. And so Jesus says to them, okay. In fact, what he says was, if you think, pretty much he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. What are you going to think? If you don't think I'm God now, what are you going to think when I'm risen on the third day and after 40 days ascend to my Father and reign in glory and invite you to join me? And so they walk away. And Jesus turns to the twelve, those who have been closest to him all the way through. And he says, well then, are you going too? And then we have our glorious Peter moment. You might have guessed I've got a bit of a soft spot for Peter. Peter jumps in with two feet and occasionally both of those feet land in his mouth. But here in John's Gospel, we have the parallel of what happens in the other three. That moment when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. But here we get this most beautiful, emotive and emotional statement from Peter. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There comes moments 
in every Christian's life. And very few of us just have one of them. Where we come to face to face or thought to thought with the greatness and amazingness of God and it feels too much. We say, all right, God, I followed you this far, but I'm not taking that step. We say with the disciples, with those who walked away, I can't deal with this. I'm not willing for my life to be turned upside down. And so we walk away. And as we turn, Jesus, always looking to us with an outstretched arm, just says, what about you? Are you leaving? And we have the choice to walk away or the choice to turn again to Jesus and say, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And those are momentous moments, but they don't have to be big deals. In fact, every time we celebrate the Eucharist together, we have the confession. That moment to repent. And that word, repent, the word in Greek is metanoia, which means to turn again, to turn around. Every time we come into Jesus' presence, We are given an invitation to turn to him, to say, where else would I be? You have the words of eternal life. Our actions in our lives and in our world turn on God's love for us not our love for God. God's love for us calls us, each and every one, to receive all that he has to offer, which is his very self, and an invitation to take part in the life and love of God. And all that is required of us is to turn to him and say, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Our lives and our actions are influenced by that turning, by that being loved. But God's invitation to us constantly is to turn to him, to be loved 
to join in with the love and life of God. Let's take a moment now. I invite you to close your eyes if you want and just sit in God's presence. Perhaps remember a moment where you have turned to him. Or perhaps just to say, Lord, I am here. All I am, I offer. Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life.